Papaday, and welcome to another episode of Live Till 5. I'm your host, Jared Baldwin. It is Friday, June 8th, episode 268, 3.05 p.m., broadcasting high atop the campus of Harvest Ministries from the worldwide headquarters of Harvest Family Radio. This is Live Till 5, brought to you here on KHMG, 88.1 FM, Barragata, Guam. Broadcasting beautiful Christian music and Bible-based programming for over 22 years here on the island of Guam. And streaming our broadcasts all around the world through khmg.org. That's khmg.org. Just click the Listen tab there, and you can listen to beautiful, clear, wonderful broadcasts coming from our radio station here. You can also download the podcast of this show and many other great programs that we produce here at KHMG, right there on the website, khmg.org. So I'd encourage you to do that. Also, if you ever miss part of the show, tune in Saturdays, noon to 2, Sunday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. Catch us on the rebound, Saturdays, noon to 2, Sunday nights, 7 to 9 p.m. When we rebroadcast the show in its entirety, all two hours of it, here on the radio, 88.1 FM, or through the stream, khmg.org. We'd love to hear that you're listening. You can contact us through our website, or you can contact us even better through our social media. For example, Harvest Family Radio Guam on Facebook is a great way for you to send us a private message, and then also give us a little subscription there. Subscribe to us, follow us, and then you'll get updated anytime we put something out there on our Facebook, which is almost daily. It's very regular. We have something on our Facebook page. You can find us on Instagram as well, and Twitter. So, we love to hear from you, and we love communicating with you. It's a real blessing to be with you on this day, Friday, June 8th, 3.07 p.m. here at the KHMG Studios. The month of June. It is a full month, and every month, Bob the Librarian provides me with this detailed list of observances and holidays. And, you know, some of these, I think, are are days that different companies and and private private uh, what would you call it? private interest groups have come up with to kind of help promote their products maybe on a special day. Bob the librarian has nothing to do with that of course. He's he's just a wonderful librarian that provides great source material for the show. And some of the things that are happening this month of June. We talked about a few of these uh, last week. But it is National Accordion Awareness Month. Now, uh, sometimes when it's an awareness month, it means that the thing that you're aware of is something bad, like a disease or some kind of fatal illness. And so when it says National Accordion Awareness Month, it makes you think of something maybe, you know, like accordions are bad and you need to be aware of them to avoid them. I'm just saying. Uh, We also have uh, National Bathroom Reading Month, National Camping Month, National Candy Month, Fresh Fruit and Vegetable Month, Home Ownership Month, Ice Tea Month, Migraine and Headache Awareness Month. So maybe that goes with the Accordion Month. People that have migraines and headaches could be triggered or brought on by accordions. Papaya Month as well. To name a few. Now, there are some weeks, weekly observances. Some of these started yesterday on the 7th, today being the 8th, of course. 
Brain Tumor Awareness Week, Superman Week. I believe it's the the anniversary of the first Superman action comic. Uh, automotive Service Professional Week. Thank you, all you automotive service professionals out there. Flag Week is the 10th through the 16th. Little League Baseball Week, 11th through the 16th. U.S. Open Golf Championship starts on the 11th. Men's Health Week is on the 11th. National Hermit Week, 13th through the 20th, coming up towards the end of next week. And then there are a number of other daily observances, starting with today, Best Friends Day, uh, International Day of Action for Elephants in Zoos, Jelly-Filled Donut Day, Name Your Poison Day, uh, Upsy-Daisy Day, World Brain Tumor Day, and World Oceans Day. Today is the 8th. Tomorrow, the 9th, the Belmont Stakes, the Coral Triangle Day, Donald Duck Day, Family Health and Fitness Day, International Young Eagles Day, Missing Mutts Awareness, Marina, Strawberry Rhubarb Pie Day, the Queen's Official Birthday, uh, World Doll Day, and Worldwide <clears throat> worldwide knit. Sorry, I need to take a drink of some mediocre coffee. Stand by one second, listeners, as I take a sip of some hot Folgers. Just a second. Ah, yes. I give that a solid 4.73. Anyway, back to it. Um, uh, worldwide knit and crochet in public day. So if you see a bunch of people on Saturday knitting and crocheting, it's kind of like a a knitter's protest or a, a knitter's parade. It's it's the most silent, peaceful uh, protest out there. A lot of a lot of knitters and crocheters out there trying to use their Second Amendment rights. There, okay. Um, I guess first First Amendment rights, Second Amendment. Chris, which amendment is it where you have freedom of speech? First, first Amendment. Yeah, Second Amendment would be them uh, right to bear arms. Which I guess if you have knitting needles. Those are aren't that you could use those as weapons. That's what ninjas did. Anyway, back to uh let's see. Um the tenth is Alcoholics Anonymous Founders Day, Ballpoint Pen Day, Children's Sunday, Herbs and Spices Day, Multicultural American Child Awareness, Black Cow Day, National Career Nurse Assistance, Children's Day, Ice Tea Day, the eleventh corn on the cob day. Uh, let's see here. Kamehameha Day. Uh, that's a holiday in the state of Hawaii. Cotton Candy Day. German Chocolate Cake. Oh, I remember now. It was a year ago that we went on and on about German chocolate cakes. And one of our faithful listeners heard us talking about it. And the next week, we were treated with the biggest and best German chocolate cake I've ever had in my life. And I've had a lot of German chocolate cake, and I appreciate all the ones my mom made for my birthday and my wife and all that. But this one was superior to all other German chocolate cakes. And, you know, that sparked a little love story between one of our regular uh, members here, Sebastian Basildua, and Jessica Larson, who made the German chocolate cake. I think she made it for Sebastian, but we all got to partake of it, and it was German chocolate uh, cake day the week before. And you know what? Now they're back in the States visiting their family, married, happily, expecting their first child in the fall. 
Almost started with German Chocolate Cake Day last year, folks. Just saying. Uh, today's actually Jelly Filled Donut Day, if anyone's interested in stopping by and maybe sparking uh, some kind of you know long-term relationship with someone that works here at Harvest. Anyway, maybe I better get back to the show here. The 12th, Call Your Doctor Day. Crowded Nest Awareness Day. Uh, National Jerky Day. Peanut Butter Cookie Day. Poultry Day. Superman Day and World Pet Memorial Day. The 13th, Brain Injury Awareness Day. Um, Kitchen Clusters of America. Random Acts of Light. Roller Coaster Day. Sewing machine, sh- sewing machine Day and Weed Your Garden Day. The 14th, Family History Day. Flag Day. Flag Day is coming up on the 14th. Very big holiday for many patriotic Americans. Uh, let's see here. Nursing Assistance Day. Strawberry Shortcake Day. Pause for the Pledge Day. Goes along with the flag. U.S. Army Birthday and World Blood Donor Day. And then finally, the 15th, the 15th of June, before we take a break here, Global Wind Day, Magna Carta Day, National Day of Prayer for Law Enforcement Officers, Flip Flop Day, Zories, we call them here, of course, Lobster Day, Native American Citizenship Day, Nature Photography Day, Ugliest Dog Day, uh, and Worldwide Day of Giving. Those are just a few things that are happening in the month of June by month, week, and day. And uh, glad to share those. Thank you very much, Bob, for giving those to us. We always enjoy that content. I think we're going to take a short break. And later on in the show, we're going to be talking about some things like ice cream, for example. Also going to have some stories that are funny. They're stranger than fiction. They're truth stranger than fiction. And I'm going to be talking about what makes a good bumper song in my humble opinion. So we'll have some examples of some bad bumper songs and some good bumper songs. And Chris is trying to wrap his head around that right now as we uh, take a break. So we'll be back with more Live Till 5 after this short break. Back with a little more live till five. I'm your host Jared Baldwin. It is Friday, June 8th, 3:18 p.m. here at the KHMG Studios. Glad to have you with us. Live till five is our live local talk and variety program, where we just have a kind of a light take on the Friday afternoon. Hopefully, you're enjoying it. Maybe you're listening during drive time, heading home from work, or running errands. This is a show that should be somewhat entertaining to everyone in the car, we hope, no matter what the age or stage of life is. We try to have some different people come up for interviews. We have some regular segments, and we try to keep you informed on things that are going on around campus. Right now, nothing's going on around campus. It's pretty quiet around here, so a little less of that. Plus, some of our regular guests, some of our our co-stars, so to speak, are off-island. Sebastian, as I mentioned earlier, off-island, 
uh, Lawrence Nangast, also off-island. So it's just me and Chris here today. And the hub is closed this afternoon, so no what's in my coffee. So instead, I'm just drinking some of this mediocre coffee. And like I said, it's a, what did I say earlier? Solid 4.6. Let's see. No, i give that 4.9. 4.9. That's not bad. You know, you round up. It's a 5. It's right in the middle there. I believe it's Folgers. Folgers regular coffee. Just good old-fashioned American salt of the earth. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Pour it in the paper filter. Make yourself some coffee coffee. That's, that's what it is. The best part of waking up. Now... <clears throat> It is June 8th, and I typed into my little uh, This Day in History what happened this uh, June 7th, so let me change my list here. But normally, Lawrence Nangast, our resident history professor and all-around square dance instructor, and you know he also is really good at writing on the chalkboard with his non-dominant hand in cursive backwards but usually he does this day in history but instead i'm going to do it and it's a poor poor imitation of the master let me just say that but be that as it may he's not here and so i will do what happened on this day june 8th let's look back here 452 a.d all these are going to be a.d by the way so i don't have to say a.d every time 452 italy invaded by attila the hun there you go um, let's see, how about this one? 793, Vikings and longships from modern-day Norway plunder St. Cuthbert's Monastery on Lindisfame Island off the northeast coast of England. 1191, King Richard I of England arrives at Acre in modern-day Israel to join the siege of Acre during the Third Crusade. 1783, on this day, The Lackey Volcano in southern Iceland begins an eight-month eruption, killing 10,000 and causing widespread famines throughout Asia and Europe. Wow. 1789, this day in history, James Madison introduces a proposed Bill of Rights in the U.S. House of Representatives. 1918, the Nova Aquila, brightest nova since Kepler's Nova 1604 was discovered. 1987, New Zealand's Labour government legislates against nuclear weapons and nuclear-powered vessels in New Zealand. It's the only nation to legislate against nuclear power. That is why, I believe, someone told me that American like nuclear-powered submarines and nuclear-powered aircrafts, even though they are our strong ally, were not allowed to harbor in New Zealand. Nothing nuclear at all there. Uh, Ives W. McGaffey of Chicago patents the first vacuum cleaner and calls it a sweeping machine on June 8th, 1869. Frank Lloyd Wright, the famous architect architect and designer, was born this day. Born in 1867. Lived all the way to 1959. Very nice life. Barbara Bush, this is her birthday as well. She was born in 1925. Died this year. Uh, let's see here. What else happened this day in history? Hmm. Some of these are really not that uh, interesting to most people. Like, for example, 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 
NBA forward Jerry Lucas got remarried. Okay, that's not that interesting at all. 1949, actor Burgess Meredith. Again, a, a, a marriage situation. Famous death. Here we go. Thomas Paine died on this day, 1809. Andrew Jackson died on this day, 1845. Old Hickory. Uh, let's see. Who else? Not that many others. And then Bobby Kennedy was gunned down on the campaign trail uh, this week in history in 1968, less than five years after President Kennedy was assassinated. His younger brother, Bobby, hoping to win the White House, was felled by a gunman on June 5th, 1968. An iconic piece of old England was just what the American oil tycoon wanted for his new township in the Arizona desert. Did he get what he was after? June 7th, 1761. Someone bought the American, an American bought the London Bridge. France had its biggest bank robber robbery ever this week in history. And the first beauty pageant ever held in Moscow was held on, this week in history in 1988. So there you go. A lot has happened in June. Some of that not as special as others. Lawrence does such a good job with that stuff. We really miss him, and I'm just making our listeners miss him even more. But I also have this little segment called Happy Little Accidents. I take the ideas for this from... The book, Accidents May Happen, 50 Inventions Discovered by Mistake, Charlotte Foltz-Jones. Let's look here. Cellophane. Cellophane. You ever use cellophane? Some people probably call it glad wrap or plastic wrap. You see a lot of cellophane in the grocery store. That clear stuff covering the raw hamburger is a type of cellophane. You also see, you also seal your friend's birthday gift with cellophane tape. Jacques Brandenburg, a Swiss chemist, was not trying to make something to cover your pork chops in 1908. He worked in a French textile firm and was looking for a way to make a stain-proof tablecloth. He tried coating the cloth with a thin sheet of viscous film. No one would buy the tablecloths, but Brandenburg, Brandenburger realized that the sheet of film held possibilities. It took him 10 years to develop a machine that would produce what he named cellophane. He patented the production process and called the company La Cellophane. The name came from combining cello from cellulose and fane from the French word diaphane, which means to be transparent. Cellophane became available to the public in 1919. In 1927, a waterproof lacquer coating was developed that made it more useful. With the lacquer coating, cellophane could be used to package food since it was airtight and waterproof. Today, new products are being developed to replace cellophane plastics because I don't think they're very biodegradable. Let's What's one other happy little accident that happened since we have a little time today? If you drop ice cream on your T-shirt, ice cream, that's our topic later on in the show, you throw it in the washing machine, spill milk on your jeans, and they get washed. But if you splash prune juice on Aunt Bertha's ostrich feathers or upset a bowl of beets on grandmother's antique linen tablecloths, first off, Aunt Bertha and Grandma, we should not stereotype them by saying that they would eat beets and prune juice. I digress. On grandmother's antique linen tablecloth, a dry cleaner will have to clean up the mess. Dry cleaning, quote-unquote, sounds as if A huge fan blows the dirt right out of the cloth. Or maybe as if a vacuum cleaner sucks the dirt out. Not true. 
Dry cleaning is actually done with a liquid, a solvent. It's called dry cleaning because it contains no water. Dry cleaning was discovered in 1825 when Jean-Baptiste Jollet upset an oil lamp in his Paris home, spilling the camphene distilled turpentine. Afraid he had ruined his wife's tablecloth, Jolly tried to wipe up the mess. But the more he rubbed, the brighter and cleaner the tablecloth became. The cloth dyer by trade, Jollet, realized that he had discovered a new amazing cleaning process. In 1849, he offered the process at his factory. Soap and water cleaning would shrink, fade, or otherwise damage many fabrics. So Jollet called his new method dry cleaning. Since Jollet was using the oil from lamps, his cleaning method was dangerous. The oil could easily catch fire. It also left an unpleasant odor. People began experimenting with other solvents to improve Jollet's first dry cleaning methods. Today, there are more than 40,000 professional and coin-operated dry cleaning plants in the United States. People spend $2 billion each year on dry cleaning their clothes, ostrich feathers, and other fabrics that need special care. One final one. This is a short one. For more than 5,000 years, people colored their clothing, their baskets, their hair, their blankets. They used natural dyes to do it, dyes from plants, animals, and the earth. Then in 1856, a teenage chemistry student in England accidentally discovered synthetic dyes. 18-year-old William Henry Perkin was conducting experiments in his home laboratory over Easter vacation. His professor had suggested he try to make a synthetic quinine by experimenting with coal tar. Excuse me. (coughs) Perkins tried one combination but got a reddish-brown sludge. When he tried again, the result was black, sticky mess. (coughs) But before he threw it out, he noticed that the water or alcohol used to wash it out was a flask. The flask turned purple. This was a surprise. Fascinated by the color, he tested the purple solution and discovered it would dye cloth. Perkins worked until he found a way to extract the purple dye from the black mixture. Over the following months, he patented his dye, built a factory, and established the world's dye industry. And it all began with a chemistry experiment that did not produce quinine, which we talked about quinine before, the cure for malaria. And that's it. Those are happy little accidents. That's everything for that segment, and we are going to take another break. When we come back from this break, a few stranger-than-fiction stories, and also the making of a good bumper song. So stick around more Live Till 5 after this short break. Welcome back to a little more Live Till 5, 3.37 p.m. on this Friday, June 8th. Glad to have you with us today. I'm Jared Baldwin, your host, episode 268. I'd like to talk a little bit about bumper music. Now, if you disagree with anything I say, I I must say that I'll deflect a little bit uh, because I'm not 
you might not be able to tell this, but I'm not professionally trained at this. So I did not take a class on this. Um, I don't know if they offer classes on this. Chris, do they offer college classes on how to select bumper music for your program? Probably not how to select bumper music specifically, but... Someone should, and maybe I'll start that. Maybe maybe that's my calling. I, I don't know how many students that there's going to be enrolled in that one, but, you know... Think about this. Just think about it for a minute. Oh, bumper tried. music and church announcements. Two things that are are enormously overlooked. Though that's not even the right uh, adjective for that. But that are adverb. It, it, they're they're overlooked. They could be enormously overlooked. Okay, they're enormously overlooked. Back yeah. to my rant. Yet without them, what would you really have? A I lot. mean, what would you? <laughs> okay, well maybe that's not the lot. best. Yeah, you but, know. You know. I mean. Hey. But, you know, church announcements, bumper music, they're two things that really... They're right in your you know, wheelhouse. They, they just happen to be yeah. for the sake of conversation. So what I'd like to do is go through a little exercise as this uh, bumper song is uh, playing out here as we're letting that kind of fade off into the distance I guess there. that's a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. That would be an example. For reels, for real is what that one's called. But um, I think it's because, you know, you have jigs and reels or Irish-type songs. So, yes. But I, I've come up with a few. Now, these are not... Bad songs. No. Let me just say, these are great songs. They better not be, because they're in our library, right? That's I got them right <laughs> out of our library. Oh, these good. might have played earlier today, some of them. So it's not that these are bad songs at all, so there's no criticism of the song itself. It's more of just a comment on why it wouldn't make a good bumper song for Live Till 5, just in case people are wondering. People might want to know. How does Jared pick his bumper music? So I'm sure people were there was people sitting out there wondering right. how you do that. So this is what I'll do is I'd like to play, you know, the first, you know, few seconds of one of my common bumper songs. These are none of these are currently in the rotation, but they've recently been in rotation. And then we'll talk about why why it works. And then I'd like to play one and I'd like to get your opinion, Chris, on why you think it probably wouldn't work. Okay, so here's you, one. You don't want my opinion on the good one? No, I do. I want oh, your opinion okay. on whether or not you like it or not, as long as you like it. So <laughs> uh, here we go. So this is one that I use regularly. I usually use this as an outro, you know, one that is a, a bumper that goes into a break. So I really like it. It's got a little a little nostalgia. It definitely does. If you're old like us, it yes. takes you back to That's your right. childhood days. Big Hoss Cartwright. Yeah. Michael Landon. Michael Landon. We, we, that was he played thing. a great he little Joe. He little played Joe. little Joe. That's right. That's correct. And uh yeah, the it's strong father figure, western show, little drama every single week uh on reruns as I was growing up. It wasn't on even Real if time. you're not old, there will be familiarity to it. You Absolutely. will have heard it before. That's right. No so, doubt. so that song, and it's it's got a little pep to it, uh, but not distracting. It's just a, and it, it's for that song specifically. It's only 36 seconds long, so it works really well as an outro because I can start playing it as someone's finishing up their comment, and they know they got about 30 seconds to wind it up and wind it down, not wind it up, wind it down, and then be done and then we can go right into so i think that works as a bumper song just for all you out there that are taking notes at home 
Have you defined bumper song for the people who may be okay? Let me let me come up with the uh, let me come up with a non textbook definition since I don't know if this is in a textbook. But a bumper song is a a song, a tune, a jingle that is played between two other segments of a program. So it's it's what the two segments bump up against. So it is a bumper. I don't know if that's where it got its name. Okay. But, you know, it's a song that bumps up against other things. And you can play it kind of underneath. It can duck underneath, I think is the official term. Duck is correct, yes. Okay, see, I know a couple things. And it ducks underneath the talking or the beginning of the next program. So it can fade out. It fades down as something else is fading in. And basically it makes it where, on radio especially, if you have this, That is really bad, where you just have silence. So if yeah. you have a little, little, just a little tune of some sort, and, and it right. doesn't even have to be, you know, um, a real long one, although sometimes I'll play it out a little bit to fill in some space. It, it also indicates that the program is starting again. That's right. Just like, just like uh, I'm sure they figured that out in broadcasting back in the early days, that if someone hears the tune coming on, everyone knows to sit down, the show is getting ready to start. Right, And so I can see how music actually grabs people's attention and gives them that indicator. Something's getting ready to change. And so that's, that's why I use bumper music. Also, before we had this wonderful software, this Radiologic DJ uh, software, we had a, an old system that we had to do a lot of editing of programs. And, and every hour had to be perfectly crafted to, to land at just the right seconds. And so what we would have to do is... We would have to taper songs off by fading them out and things like that and create this little automatic taper um, effect at the end of most songs. But when we did a show like Live Till 5, I would use bumper music to add in some extra seconds at the beginning and end so as the previous radio station manager would edit the program, he had a little bit of room to cut. He could cut the end off if he wanted. Sure. Or he would sometimes play the station identification over that last bumper so the song would play out for a good 30 seconds and then he had like a 10 second station id spot he would put over that and he wouldn't have to add music because he could literally just layer it over that so that's why we did that so the bonanza theme song in my opinion pretty good bumper song what do you think chris that's pretty good okay so now here's a great song that that would not work as a bumper song right now and and i'll let our listeners kind of figure out why I mean, it's, it's pretty. So, here's the reason why I think it wouldn't work. And then, Chris, give me your opinion. First off, it's June 8th. This is a Christmas song. Rule number 7.3. Never use Christmas music when it's not Christmas season. Okay. It's a thing. You just don't do it. You just don't do it. So it's number one. Number two, children's choir vocal music. It's a specific genre. Yes. Or genre, as as, uh, our good friend MH says. It's a certain genre of of music. And 
the children's vocal choir music or choir vocal music is I don't know it's it's hard to talk over you can't really understand what they're saying while you're talking right so, like right now it just like right now I'm, I'm trying to yes. illustrate that as I talk so it just kind of sounds a little ethereal I don't know it depends on what kind of show you have that's true I guess maybe not every show is like live till five that is true that is true so I guess everything's in the context of this being the standard and everything else deviating from the standard if you had a, a Christmas special for kids this might work great the, matter of fact we might do that we might actually do that we'll bring all the kids up here and interview them and this might be a bumper song great. so listeners you hold us to that the other thing is sometimes especially on intro bumpers the song that's on the front end of a segment if it doesn't have a little bit of energy to it you're starting off a little bit sleepy yeah and this is a very sedated beautiful song but it's it's definitely very quiet and soft so it has to be used the right way but it wouldn't work for today's show for example this would not work for today's show for many reasons yes would you agree with that yeah, all I can think about is I'm going to have to edit a lot of this out because I can't post this on the internet. Why? Because there's too much of the song. Oh. <laughs> well, I, mean, I can you know, cut that out. I mean, I hate that's how many what, How many seconds of the song before I have to kill it? Well, I mean, the um, I, I shouldn't get What's into the, rule? the lengthy uh, description of this, but in order to be using uh, songs of, of that length, you have to do what's called creating new culture, mm. which means that if you're using the song for something other than what it was intended, which is enjoyment and entertainment, that you can probably get away with playing a lengthier portion of it. But if, it, if you're using it for the purpose for which it is intended, which probably is enjoyment and entertainment, then um, you can only play a short segment of it. Is short defined use. by law? It's not necessarily defined by law, but it's one of those things that people know when they hear it. Rule of thumb. And you just heard it go a little right. too long. And copyright law is also different in the, in the fact that somebody has to have, be um, damaged or, um, or call you on it in order for it to be enforced. Okay. So, you know. So uh, we're but, pretty safe there. I haven't broken too many federal laws at this well, point of the show. Except that SoundCloud when they uh, when they accept the track will determine whether or not you're using a, uh, a song that is really uh, yeah they, they they're similar to uh, YouTube okay in the sense that they will um, if you're using a a song if it's not licensed um, and you haven't reported it as licensed because um, you have to submit I'm not posting anything on the internet that I'm not licensed wow. to upload. I'm learning so, so much. And I'm the host of the show who put the segment right. together. Yeah, I'm glad I'm, you're here. That, that's right. Yeah, you're like the quality good. control officer. That's I'm trying to be. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, moving right along. Here's one that works well as an intro. We won't play it for very long, but <laughs> this one's very popular. We've used this many times. Right. Is it a different rule if it's a classical song? Depends on how old it is. Is it more than 70 years old? It's from 1812. Oh, no, that's William Tell. No, it's 1812 Overture. Well, if this was... Maybe from 1813. But if it was recorded by a guy in... In uh, Sound Studio. True. And it was, because it's the Lone Ranger intro. 
So okay, well, just in no, case, and, we'll just pot that down. I mean, we we can use intro songs that we talk over. I just don't Got leave the like, just don't let it just play out. Yeah, and then criticize it like a, a special when you play a song. Like let's say at Christmas time, you say, mm-hmm. "Here's the first Christmas song of the year." Um, I can't play that whole thing because right. you're using it for its intended purpose, it. which is entertainment Got and it. enjoyment. But since you were talking over the most of those yeah. and kind of describing the song, you probably were creating new culture. Okay, I'm, I'm creating new culture right now with the Lone Ranger intro. That's right. So now this song right here is a great bumper song, in my opinion. It's got a little energy. It doesn't yes. have any vocal cluttering the the sound stream so to speak sure and um it 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 indicates something energetics coming up and it kind of builds what would you say uh this has got the same kind of nostalgia to it and universal appeal to it it's got the same same kind of thing to it some people they think back and they're like wow i remember watching the lone ranger or they at least they've heard it Right, they, that's they true. May not, they may not have the nostalgia right. you or I have, but right. they've heard it. Yeah, I think it, it was very popular for about 100 years before it was on television. Okay, so here's one that is a great song, great song, beautiful song, but might not work well as a bumper song for Live Till 5 on Friday, June 8th at 3.50 p.m. What if at the end of the show you were going to talk about a topic that was spiritual in nature. True. And it could be... That's true. This one might be a 50-50. Aha. This might be a 50-50. Because if you're trying to talk about something that's invitational, evangelistic, this would be a good one. Okay. Well, you know what? I like this one. I might use this again sometime, (laughs) especially if you had a good interview. That's Softly and Tenderly. So when I looked at the title, I'm thinking, oh, Softly and Tenderly won't work. But it did. Now, here's here's another. Probably fits in the nostalgic category as well. I've actually had people text during the song and say, play more like that. Oh. I had people, one person. Okay. And he texts often, CW. He's like, have more songs like that. This is a theme song from an old... Western movie, right? And uh, you can see horses riding. That's right. It has that dust kicking up. That's right. That's right. And kind of like all these, all these guys in their posse coming on the sh- air, on the air for their show, you know, to come and yeah. bring, you know, bring joy, yeah, to your little your little Fort Fort Harper. Okay, yeah, Fort Harper. Yep. All right. There you go. So that that's that. Now here's one that. That is a great song as well, but it you know it just depends. It just depends, and I think it's because of the whole talking over part of it. If you were just going to play this, and maybe it had to do with the theme of the show. There is power but if you're trying to talk while this is going on, and it's already a little hard to understand what I'm saying and what they're saying, and you're not sure what to listen to, you know what I would play this. When? when I was bringing on some HBBC students to would interview work. them about their future ministry in the islands. There you go. So this would be contextualized if you're using a bumper song that's up against a segment that makes sense, then there's a good context for it. There you go. Excellent. Yeah. So it might not work for me today, but if you're going to interview HBBC student, perfect. Yeah. There you go. And it's a pretty song. Produced locally, by the way. Yeah. Right well, here at Harvest. Right here in this this. Probably right here in this office. Right, 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 right by the mediocre coffee maker. Exactly. Actually. 
Okay. Well, there you go. That's Power and Prayer by HBBC. So that's a good one if it's in the right context. Okay. So now here's one that Nick Brown used to really like. Um, he just he loved this. This one seems to work okay as a bumper song as well. It has a little anticipation to it with a little just a little drum there. And it's lilty and it kind of builds a little bit. It gets faster, lighter. So when I'm listening for a, a bumper song, also I like something that changes after 30 seconds. So if I'm starting to talk at the 30 second mark, yeah. It that, changes. So usually I start a, talking yeah. right about there, right that, at that spot. That's called a ramp. Ramp up. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So you ramp, you can ramp up, ramp down. There you yeah. go. So this one works well on both ends. This actually works good as an outro or an intro. Right. In my personal experience. It sounds like they're getting they're they're auditing your class on bumper music well, right I'm, here. I'm trying to give like the a students service. a little yeah. I'm teaching two HBBC classes this next year. Yeah. And it's supposed to be creation of the cross and biblical hermeneutics. And somehow I need to figure out how can I incorporate bumper music into one of those two topics. Oh, that should be easy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, here's here's the last one. Now, this one, of course, everyone loves this musician. And this song, people from Harvest Baptist Church have sung hundreds and hundreds of times. Uh, if you were here in 2010, I believe it was, or 2011. Our God is faithful. We love this guy. Yeah. And it's a good, it's, the lyrics are good, but it might not work well as a bumper song. And here, and let me, let me go back here. I'm going to, I'm going to ramp it down. Then I'm going to start it over and I can explain exactly why this one doesn't work in the way that I do bumper songs, just so people know. I'll just let you listen here for a second. Okay. That was at the eight-second mark. Right. The the vocal part starts up. Well, for me, and part of this is because I run the board while I'm doing the show, I need a little more than eight seconds to get everything transitioned. By the time I click on that and get the microphones turned on and get my coffee and all that, I need a little longer to prepare myself. So if I if I just go straight to a song like that, I don't have enough time to get myself ready. And so that's the main thing. That song also has, you know, the vocal is the main part of the song. So it does, it didn't have a lot of space where it's just in, instrumental. So it doesn't work as well for me. You know what it would work? See, I can only think of when this would work. Let's say that we bring on some people to talk. We one time were talking about um, bringing kind of the pulpit committee on yes. to talk about the process of of calling a new pastor and things. If you were going to talk about how that process worked, perhaps you could play a song like that before it as you talk about how you can True. unite together to True. Uh, to accomplish a purpose for the church. So then the song actually becomes part of the segment in a way. It right. actually it actually ties it together. Sure. So the song is part of the theme of that segment. That's more of what the class on bumper music should be, not what's good and bad. But what's appropriate at the time? I'm going to have you be a guest the... speaker in my class. Okay, all right. So I'm going to have you guest come in lecture. and talk about the ethics of bumper music. Ethics. The ethics of bumper music. Wow. Because it's beyond good and bad. It's sure. what it should be. Right. That's an ethical. That's an ethical delineation right there. So that's right in my wheelhouse. Right you, there. You, you, and I. You can come in and you, you can educate and inform 
and 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 we just got to figure out how to tie it into either creation to the cross or biblical hermeneutics. Yeah, that should we can. I'm sure that's uh, we if we can discuss that for a few minutes. And I'm sure yeah, we'll come we'll, up with something. We'll find a way to tie it together. Yeah. So, well, we have about two minutes till the top of the hour now, and we're going to take a break for the news and come back for even more riveting uh, programming for all our listeners. Listeners, I do want to encourage you if you miss part of the show, tune in from noon to two on Saturdays. 7 to 9 p.m. Sunday nights. You can also go to khmg.org, download the podcast of this show, and many other great programs. Chris, in this last minute and a half, what what other programs do we have available via podcast on our website? Uh, if you go to our programs page on khmg.org, you'll see all the programs we produce, Heart of Harvest, Living Redemptively, um, Harvest Echoes, Building Great Leaders, Harvest Time. All of those programs are there. You can download hundreds of each of those, and uh, Live Till 5 is there, of course. There's about 100 of those there, and there are little clips, little highlights from Take Note. The broadcast is just before this one, and uh, basically anything that we produce in these studios is able to be downloaded there. Now, not all of them are in podcast format, meaning you can't necessarily subscribe in iTunes. Right, right. What we do with our iTunes is... Uh, we we post like the latest tracks on our iTunes, so we mix it up a little bit as to what's on our iTunes feed. So, and then we have other content available as well, not necessarily as podcasts, but as yeah MP3. Right, and that's what I mean. It's it's, it's uh, like on demand downloads, but it's not. It won't come up in your if you if you've subscri- subscribed to our podcast, right, which is just called Latest Colon. Harvest Family Radio. That's a mix of different right. things. But if you want to go and just download yesterday's Harvest Echoes, you can do that. The just way by people go to, to Sermon Audio or one right. place and they download just a sermon, it's not yeah. necessarily a podcast all the time. Got right. It. There's a difference between that podcast idea and just, I mean, it is a podcast, but it's not like a podcast feed. Like, it, you know, here's the latest This American Life and it's, right. it's just the next one right. in order. So, yeah. There you go. Hey, there's an outro bumper song right there. It's good. Going to take us right into the news. Chris, thanks a lot. We'll see you next hour. Yep. Listeners, stay tuned. More Live Till 5. You're listening to KHMG 88.1 FM. Barragata Guam. Stick around for SRN News and a second hour of Live Till 5. Friday, June 8th, 4 p.m. Glad to have you with us. Be right back after this. Back with the second hour of Live Till 5. It's 4.04 p.m. on this Friday, June 8th. Episode 268 of Live Till 5. Glad to have you with us today. My name's Jared Baldwin. I'm your host of this live local talk and variety program called Live Till 5. We hope to entertain you, inform you, be a little bit edifying, build you up in your Christian walk, and give you just a lighthearted opportunity on a Friday afternoon if you're listening to the live broadcast to... Just enjoy whatever we're talking about. We hope that it's fun for you. We get a lot of feedback from people that enjoy listening and uh, glad that you could be listening. You might not be hearing us on Friday afternoon 
don't worry. You didn't sleep through an extra day. It's Saturday noon to 2 and Sunday night from 7 to 9 p.m. would be the two times of our rebroadcasts as well. And although some of our crew is not in studio today, the bulwark of our crew is here. The, 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 the bulwark, the really the flying buttresses of our crew. That, that makes sense, right, in a gothic way? Uh, I, I don't know if I know the full definition of flying buttresses, but... Flying buttresses. I, I'm willing to go along with it. Here's, if... here's the extent of my worthless information brain. Okay. So the, the cathedral at Notre Dame... Okay. ...was made in a gothic style... Yes, And one of the things, and, and, and listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, but that identifies <laughs> Gothic architecture are flying buttresses, which are like these walls that extend out from the building to provide support, I believe, for a large open interior. And okay. so if you've ever seen the cathedral at Notre Dame, it has like these, these wings almost that come out that are actually almost like um, rafters made of stone, but they're outside the building. Okay. That hold up the building from the outside instead of like a traditional building where you have an infrastructure kind of a uh, this is more of like an exoskeleton that helps hold it up. And flying buttresses are the architectural devices used to support whatever is going on in the heart of the building. And we are somehow akin to this. You and I are the flying buttresses of this of this show because wow. we are holding up. We're we're holding it up. We're 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 really making it possible yeah. for the listeners who are inside the proverbial cathedral of Notre Dame. Uh, we're outside holding up the broadcast. It's the cathedral of live till five. It is. It's of. the cathedral of live and, till five. And we are the flying buttresses. Flying buttresses. Of that. Chris is a flying buttress, and Jared is a flying buttress. I. That is, and we are within the Gothic context of architecture. That is exactly what we are. And if any of our listeners have any question about what I'm talking about, just Google it. Yeah, just Google it. How about this? Alexa, what is a flying buttress? And that will, whoever's got their Alexa Mm -hmm. on right That's right. That's right. But what if they're listening to us on their Alexa? Then it's not going to work, is it? Yeah, I I don't know if Alexa, Alexa. Well, anyway, just see if it dings or not. You can say, Alexa, play Harvest Family Radio. Mm Mm-hmm. On TuneIn, yes, and it will play Harvest Family Radio. I, know, I think we in. have some people here that do that. I think Devin Taylor yeah. listens on one of those devices, yeah. and he's able to just speak to it, and it goes ding, and then yep. it plays it. That's true. It'll work. Playing Harvest Family Radio. Yeah. That's it. So, And, and you can look up Gothic architecture in general, and then kind of dig down in there, and then you'll see Flying Buttresses as a example right. of our the architecture identified as gothic it's style. kind of it's kind of been a picturesque uh live till five today because really it's just us and yep. the bumper music that's all people got to hold this thing together today. that's true it's that's true it. really bumper music could be considered um kind of a flying buttress as well it, it helps support <laughs> wow. the show the yeah. cathedral okay. of our show yeah yeah okay i'm the great room of our show yeah yeah might need to do a little reading up on that to make sure. I'm, <laughs> Just, I'm pretty yeah. sure about that. You, you think there may be flaws in that theory? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as all allegories, you know, not every everything in this parable 
has a parallel. It's really just yeah. one general idea. We're just trying to paint a word picture. You you can take all of them too far, can't you? It's I've heard of people that have done that before, and yeah. I am aghast. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. hey, do you have something? Uh, oh, uh, before you get in, so yes. let, let's segue into something serious here. Someone famous passed away. Okay. The last living Wizard of Oz munchkin just passed away. Oh, wow. At 98 years old, Jerry Marin. This was from June 6th. Uh, last living munchkin. This is according to my hometown news station, KNBC, ABC, Channel 9. Last living munchkin actor from The Wizard of Oz has passed away. Jerry Marin was 98 years old, died last week in San Diego Nursing Home. His family held a funeral this weekend at Forest Lawn in Hollywood. The cause of death is unknown, but he did have dementia, sources confirmed. He is a member of the Lollipop Guild in the film and one of the actors who welcomed Dorothy to Oz. He wore green in the movie, stood in the center, and gave Dorothy candy. So he was one of the last living uh, munchkins. There you go. So the passing of a 98-year-old munchkin. Hmm. So there you go. We'll honor his memory by mentioning it. We should have had that song queued up for We Represent the Lollipop Guild. I, I should have. I that, should would have, have. Been, that would have been bumper music, very apropos to I know, and that would discussion. have been an example of it actually being part of the segment. Right. So the other thing about bumper music, kind of one of the secret backstage passes just between us and the listeners, is if you want to do anything outside of your normal cadre of bumper music, you have to prepare. That's true. Yes. So <laughs> might yeah. be why we did not have you that. You can't song. show up five minutes before the uh, show goes on the yeah. air. I'm or, not going to say if or even did that. Four. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Good thing the news is four minutes long. That's all I have to say. Right. That gives you eight minutes if you show up four minutes prior. That's right. So not, not that that's a regular occurrence, but it does happen at times. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's uh, segue from the, you know, hilarious to the. S- you know, sober to the sublime. Take it away. Well, I uh, was able to uh, peruse today the Christian Daily Reporter website that I've talked about a couple of times already on the program. And I did find some headlines there that will take you to other websites, uh, including the Christian Post. And they had some interesting things there. But the one I focused on was an investigative report that has revealed their Uh, are some isolated regions in Myanmar which have been accused of carrying out a genocide against Rohingya Muslims. And the Burmese military has also been ethnically cleansing the minority Christian Kachin people. Now, Sky News investigative team, that's from England, uh, managed to travel and document the situation in the remote Kachin state where locals say a second genocidal campaign is now underway. The area is hidden from much of the world, as the Buddhist majority in Myanmar has denied journalists and aid agencies access to this region. The Kachin people, who have been fighting for self-determination for decades and have formed their own armies, such as the Kachin Independent Army, are said to have died by the thousands in attacks carried out by the Myanmar military. The locals say that the central government's attacks have increased significantly since January. The mass persecution of Rohingya refugees is also suspected to have begun around 
last August and is close to 700,000 that have been forced to flee to Bangladesh. So um, Christian persecution as well as minority Muslim persecution underway, it appears, from published reports from Sky News. I have some stats on Myanmar's persecution in general from sure. the World Watch List 2018 by opendoorsusa.org. You can look this up yourself. But in Myanmar, Buddhist leaders instigate the persecution on of Christians in predominantly Buddhist communities. In predominantly Christian states, even historical churches experience attacks. More than 100,000 Christians live in internally displaced camps, deprived of access to food and health care. In some instances, radical Buddhist monks have invaded church properties, built Buddhist shrines on church premises. The Buddhist, Muslim, or tribal families of converts also persecute believers. And um, the community life pressure is the highest of all the different types of persecution there. Uh, they have over 4 million self-professed Christians out of 54, almost 55 million population. Hmm. But the prayer points for these Christians pray for the persecuted Christian minorities that they would live would lovingly minister to persecuted Rohingya Muslims who are facing genocide. So Christians really have an opportunity to reach out to their neighbors, the Muslims, right. and then pray that many hearts would be open to the truth, and then also pray Christian converts from Islam and Buddhism that face strong pressure to recant their faith. Pray that these believers would have courage in the face of persecution. Pray for increased religious freedom. Still on the topic of persecution, but this time from the Washington Times, watchdogs groups are saying that persecution of Christians and other religious minorities in China is also at its most intense since their cultural revolution, as churches are shuttered, Bibles are confiscated, and believers are arrested at rates not seen in decades. Evidence of the crackdown was in plain view this week. When police raided Early Rain Covenant Church, which is an underground parish in the southwestern Sichuan province, to preempt a memorial service commemorating the 29th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre. Now, you can see why they perhaps did not want to see that um, commemorated. Um, and those were anti government protests at that time, obviously. According to China Aid, an advocacy group that documents human rights abuses in the communist nation, 17 people were violently detained, including uh, Pastor Wang Yi and his wife, who attempted to block the door. Pastor Bob Fu, who is the founder and president of China Aid, said the number of people arrested in China for exercising religious freedom has reached the highest level since the end of the Cultural Revolution, and he cited internal figures showing a nearly five-fold increase in the number of Christians who were persecuted by the government last year. And the profile of persecution, according to the World Watch List, that church life is the highest part of the persecution, 80% uh, rating, which is very high persecution rate of church life, and says communist and religious pushback. The majority of persecution in China is experienced by the small group of Christians from Muslim or Tibetan Buddhist backgrounds. When converts are discovered by their families or communities, they're usually threatened, harmed, or reported to authorities. Another persecution driver is the communist government. Christians in particular are hedged in by authorities as they're the largest social force in China, not controlled by the state. And the prayer points are 
Pray for the growth of believers from minority people groups that are from Muslim and Buddhist backgrounds, and pray for Chinese Christians to stand strong amidst tightening religious restrictions and to engage in cross-cultural missions effectively. Pray that teenage and young believers will enter a deeper walk with Jesus Christ in the midst of the materialistic environment. Yeah, now I don't know if you were here for the show that we talked about this, but there's a a new uh, system in place in China now, too, that tracks people and basically the the government gives them a score on how good or how bad of a citizen they are and many restrictions can be put in place on particularly their travel within the country based on how the government rates them and they have some sort of numbering system that they place on each individual citizen and they're able to track people and restrict them wow. based on what's happened and this is also uh, part of a, a a ramping up of the um, cameras that they're placing around the country hmm. by the hundreds and thousands to try to track people in more uh, areas of the country. So it's becoming, um, they're really ramping things up. Trying This gives you a little bit of an idea of how good their ideas are and how, how successful they would be without... Uh, clamping down on right. the citizenry, uh, people who have bad ideas have to uh, have to enforce them in violent ways. Yeah, because people simply instinctively know that this is not a good idea and this does not work. Right, and so it gives you it. It, it they're revealing in their crackdowns are revealing really how good their ideas are and how how um, how much they work. Yeah, and it doesn't. Well, that's been proven uh, in recent history uh, about communism. Uh, following a temporary suspe- suspension for alleged- allegedly harmful and dangerous content, a YouTube channel called Abortion Pill Reversal is once again up and running after YouTube admitted the suspension was a mistake. Now, this is something we've talked about before as well. Uh, YouTube and Facebook and Google and other large publishers, well, YouTube is part of Google, um, restricting speech basically that they don't agree with and speech particularly that comes from a, a more traditional or conservative point of view. At the end of April, YouTube suspended the account for what it called repeated or severe violations of community guidelines. But the offending videos just included a webinar explaining what an abortion pill reversal is in scientific and medical terms. So it was not even an opinion piece. Uh, Another three told the stories of women who chose life for their babies using this abortion pill reversal protocol, which is a medical way of reversing the abortion pills. Following the suspension, Daniel M. White, legal counsel for the Heartbeat International Foundation, initiated an appeal process with YouTube and enlisted the support of the Susan B. Anthony list to make their case to the company. Upon reviewing the APR channel, YouTube reinstated the account, notifying the Susan B. Anthony list that the suspension had been a mistake. But this is this this continues. And by the way, um, any of these companies that are brought up on Capitol Hill or even in the, the European Union, uh, recent interviews with um, 
the founder of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg um, brought up these very issues that uh, they are restricting speech, basically, that they don't agree with or that they don't like. Now, let's hasten to add, they're private companies and they have the, the right to restrict speech, but we have also the right to know that right. and their size and their scope and their potential monopoly um, also has to be taken into account if you're thinking about things like uh, the ability for citizens to get their to have a reasonable opportunity to get their ideas out. And so sometimes these companies sort of spill over into the sphere of uh, First Amendment issues, but not not in all cases. So it's important to add they have the right to do these things, but it's important to point out when they do right. that they're doing it. Well, and and to call them on it when they when they feign that they're not right uh, discriminating against a certain ideology, whatever, then it's worthwhile to call them on that. Sure. Yeah. All right. All right, Chris. Thank you very much for the news and the reports on persecution. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Myanmar and China. Know people in both countries and uh, trying to help spread the gospel there as they can. And uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to have a little more Live Till 5, including our topic of the day, ice cream, and a little more Stranger Than Fiction as well. You're listening to Live Till 5 on this Friday, June 8th, 4.22 p.m. here at the KHMG Studios. I'm Jared Baldwin, your host, episode 268. Been doing this 268 times, this live, local, two-hour radio broadcast. Stick around more Live Till 5 after this short break. back with a little more live till five i'm your host jared baldwin friday june 8th 4 27 p.m here in the khmg studios glad to have you with us I watched a little youtube doc two-part documentary it was on youtube it has to be true about the barcelona jersey conspiracy very interesting and i think it 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 has a couple different implications first off barcelona uh, in La Liga, I believe, right? Yes. Chris? Okay. So Barcelona was one of the latter teams. I don't know if they were the last team, but I know they were late in the game, so to speak, of getting jersey sponsorships. Correct. Now, this probably, to any newcomer newcomers to professional soccer, football, uh, wouldn't even know there was ever a time where there weren't sponsors on jerseys. Um, some jerseys have multiple sponsors, even. Um, all the MLS teams have sponsors. Almost all the different European teams would have sponsors. That's how they help fund what they do, uh, especially with the transfer fees and everything now being so high. So, But this, this uh, guy who did these documentaries, I believe he was a Barcelona fan at one time. He basically said how Barcelona, historically, it's an over 100-year-old club. I think it's 113 years old, maybe longer. They always had the blue and red vertical stripes. They, they've kind of had a, a certain look and a certain uh, philosophy even of 
managing their team financially, things like that. Mm-hmm. But they, so they were, I believe, seven years behind some of the other La Liga teams that got jersey sponsorships. And it's a lot of money for a uh, company to put their name on a jersey. And right now, I believe they have like the big Japanese uh, media uh, company is on their jersey. I can't remember the name of it, Rakuten or something like that. Yeah. Um, But so one of the first ones they went with was, uh, I believe, UNICEF. Yeah. And what they did different than other teams is instead of being paid by UNICEF, which is the United Nations, whatever, um, they paid the UN. To put that logo on, so they were representing. Uh, they did get paid by the the little patch that was on the one side of the arm. The other side was always reserved for whatever uh, the La Liga patches. The on La one Liga side. patches yeah. on one side, and then the other side was a uh, some type of company there in their region. Um, I, I forget what that area of Barcelona is. They almost uh, broke away from the Catalan region. Yeah, Catalan. So so it had something to do with Catalan on that side. But they eventually, UNICEF, they were paying UNICEF. And then somewhere along the way, one of the sheiks or sheikhs in Qatar or Qatar yeah. uh, started sponsoring their their jerseys. And it, it started out as the, the Qatar Foundation, right. which was managed by one of this sheikh's three wives – um, and uh, basically, they were paying big money to get the K- Qatar Foundation on the jersey. What? This is also at the same time that there started to be movements towards trying to get more and more representation and leadership in FIFA, I believe, by Qatar. And now, of course, Qatar is going to have the World Cup coming up, which is some people say is a little bit scandalous. They're going to be air conditioning open stadiums and things like that, just be able to have it there. So it's all this intrigue behind it all. Then they went to Qatar Airways, I think, for a while, which is owned, I believe, by the same sheik. I think they still. Oh the, no, they don't have that this year. That was just they yeah, have the new one. The, I think it's this year. Rob Rob Rakutaban or something like that is the 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 it's, one on the front. Rakuten or Rakuten, something. Yeah. yeah, and then but on the back, they still have UNICEF. So what happens is uh, Barcelona receives money from these big sponsors, and then they pay money to UNICEF, and they put UNICEF on the back. And then I think it was a year or two ago, they even had Intel, like the company Intel that makes the microprocessors, sponsoring the jersey. But instead of putting their name on the outside of the jersey, they put the Intel inside like logo, which is on a lot of computers, inside the jersey. So you only saw it if you had an actual jersey. Yeah. But Intel paid them big money just to do that. Yeah, but long story short, there's a little bit of intrigue on how in the world did what happened was they sponsored the jersey. Then all of a sudden, is it Xavi? I think got got oh Xavi Alonso. Xavi, yeah, yeah. He ended up going to some team in the middle of uh, uh, one of the Arab nations. Yeah, it was the UAE, I think. Yes, and and then uh, there's all this intrigue on how in the world could a lifelong player for Barcelona end up playing in the middle of the desert the last few years of his career right. and and all the money and all these different things. And then of course with FIFA and the world cup and all these, and then how Barcelona kind of, they trade, they, they changed their principles in the way they did it. And it's just a big mess. So basically Barcelona ended up 
getting a bad reputation through all this. They kind of had this extra high standard, like we don't have to be like everyone else. They eventually had to kind of shrink down to the mean of what everyone else is doing because it is very expensive. I mean, that's an understatement to be able to be in La Liga and to have the players you need to win. And I guess all through the 90s, they were pretty, they did pretty poorly. They only won one cup uh, in all the 90s. I think it was 94 Usually coming between third and sixth place for a number of years. So yeah, but then they but then they started coming back up. One of the and they're widely regarded the 2011 team as one of the greatest right. ever to play right. the game. Right, great, great players. And what I think what they found was they had to have money to build the team. And the yeah. way to get the money, you can only put so many people in a stadium. So then you have to start looking for other revenue streams. And jersey sponsorship ended up becoming a huge revenue stream. And now. Jersey sponsorship is the model on which all these professional teams have to build a major part of the revenue stream. Yeah. And so, and then of course they have multiple jerseys. They have the home and the way and the alternate and the classic and the, you know, whatever. And the, the ones that are just for special tournaments and things. And so they make a lot of money just off of that. So all that to say, it's a pretty interesting documentary. I'm still waiting for an apology from the NBA fans who used to make fun of the, uh, the Jersey sponsorships and the, and all the different jerseys, and now the NBA has jersey sponsorships. Yep. If you look at the right shoulder of the NBA teams, they have a sponsorship logo on them, and they also have all the different kinds of jerseys that they can sell. And I'm still waiting for an apology for yep. all my friends who are NBA fans yep. who said how stupid and crazy and ridiculous yep. and yep. horrible it was to have all that, and now all their teams have it. So yeah. I'll just uh, wait by the phone, yeah. and perhaps they'll contact yeah. me and yeah. apologize it's, for that. You know, hopefully you're not waiting too long. <laughs> no, the, no, I you won't know, hang by my neck it, until you know, they call. NBA fans are not very repentant anyway. No. I'm just saying. <laughs> and Now also, the phones are lighting up. <laughs> they, they would also bug me about flopping, you know, where mm-hmm. the, all your soccer mm-hmm. guys are always flopping. Apparently they haven't seen the NBA finals. Oh, boy. Perhaps. Oh, boy. So, yeah. Bunch of crybabies. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to go that far. <laughs> oh, I took it too far again. Sorry. <laughs> too far. Too I take far. it back. They're not crybabies. Too far. All right. Well, hey, um, I am in the process of trying to figure out who do I want to root for? Who do I want to be a fan of? And I, I'm learning you can't just be a fan of a singular player because they might not stay at that team for right. their whole career. Right. And I don't have any ethnic or geographical connection to any European team. So I can't say, well, my my five times removed grandparents were from Wales. It, it's hard to have an ethnic connection to oh, that. Oh, you don't have the you don't have that uh I have no no, have no genealogy. Right, right, exactly. Okay, so sure. there's no there's no long lost connection there. Um okay. and so I didn't know that part. That's an interesting piece of input yeah. you put in this week. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, it's, uh, well, you know, I'm constantly, I'm like an onion. I have a lot of layers. Uh, yes. So, and I make people cry. So, but, so I want to know, how do I go about picking a team? There's so many. And, um, and then at what level do you continue to root for a team? For example, when we lived in New England, I rooted for the New England Patriots and the Boston Red Sox because it was wow. just refreshing to root for winning teams for a little wow. while. And, um, you know, it that was fun. like a bandwagon fan, though. I was. And oh. th- that's exactly. I'm admitting it. I'm, okay. I'm actually copping to that gotcha. right now on right. 
in front of millions of listeners, I was a bandwagon fan. And I can be that way about most sports because I don't sit around and watch hours and hours of sports every week anyway. Sure. Um, I'm a hometown team when it comes to the Kansas City Royals and Kansas City Chiefs. I like in MLS, of course, I like the sporting. But if I want to watch European football, yes, I want to know where to start. So well, give me some advice here. And this is going to be an ongoing segment because right. well, there's no way I can get all this done in one week. I, gotta, I really yeah. got to chew on this. Well, we, we discussed last week that you've got to find some sort of English language coverage. Yes. And that's not necessarily – you can't find that of the Italian League Serie A. Right. And you can't find that uh, – for the most part of La Liga, there's a little bit of La Liga coverage, but for the most part, all you're going to see is Barcelona and Real Madrid right. highlights. I've seen highlight videos, um, yeah. especially the uh, Spanish-speaking uh, highlight videos on like ESPN ESPN three app, where it'll yeah. show like two minutes of a great match, um, but from, it's all in Spanish. Yeah, from ESPN Deportes. Yes, is that's where it. that comes. There you from. go. Yeah. Well, so I I encourage you to either go with the Bundesliga, which is the German top division, Liga from France, or the Premier League, which is, of course, English language yeah. from England. And th- then the thing you got to do to sort of narrow it down from there is you got to find out a little bit about the history of the club and a little uh, find out what some of the traditions are. And do you want to support a club that could potentially be relegated Right? Are they in the bottom half of the league? And could they potentially go down to the championship in England or go down to the La Liga 2? Or Well, and I'm embarrassed to I'm say saying? I didn't even know what relegation was. I knew yeah. what the word relegate means, which means to kind of demote or to put something yeah. in the corner, right? So, uh, but until Leicester City won, yeah. and then I was reading about their history and how they had just been in the lower league a couple years prior. The year prior, Oh, the actually. year prior. Yeah. And then they just, you know, worked their way up, and there was a huge investment, of course, coming from one of my favorite countries, Thailand, and they bought in, I think it was the, the power company, King Power, King I think. King Power, yeah. Um, which is owned by, I think, one of the princes, uh, um, King Bumi's uh, son. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there was all this infusion of cash, and I believe there was even a Thai player on the team, and so, you know, it was like this rags to riches story. So, yeah. But that's when I learned about relegation. But tell me a little bit more about how to go. Well, how, how to go with if this. you're talking about England, let's just focus on England for a second. There's, okay. there, there are the top six teams in England. And it's pretty much the top six always move around at who's at the top and right. who's at this the bottom. Manchester United. Manchester, Manchester City. Manchester City. Uh, Chelsea. Chelsea. Yep. Which is in London. Right. That's the blue um, team. I know right. that. Yep. Uh, Arsenal, Arsenal, which yeah. is also in London. Yep, red team. Yep. Um, uh, Tottenham Hotspur, mm-hmm. right, which is another England team. The both Arsenal and Tottenham are arch rivals, major arch rivals from London, North mm-hmm. London. And then you have the sixth one is Liverpool. Liverpool. Okay. So I was going to mention Liverpool to you today because I've been watching a lot of videos and stuff about Liverpool. By the way, I don't really support any European teams. There's also, you should know this, there's a difference between being kind of a fan and then there's a difference between being a supporter. Right. Okay, so if you want to take me, with, for instance, with Seattle, I'm a supporter. Okay. So I'm on the web. I subscribe to the YouTube channel. I watch all of the the um, interviews with the players during the week. I watch the interviews with the coaches. I watch the wrap-up interviews to the at the end of the games. I follow each of the games on my app. You know, like I'm, yes, you're, I know, you're, yeah, yeah, I know what the lineups are. I know all of our backup players. You know what I'm saying? That's a supporter. Okay. 
in in football culture, that's a supporter. You Got really it. are all in. But I've been looking at Liverpool as a potential team to support. Um, and the reason is the history. If you look at the history of the club, the great players they've had, the trophies that they've won, sort of the fan traditions, they sing songs before the game. You never walk alone. It's even on their patch. You never walk alone. Sort of the idea mm-hmm. is we never abandon our team. We never abandon our players. We're always behind you. I've no seen a what video happens. of that, and I didn't yeah. know what that was. I've seen a stadium singing that song. I, I I never connected it to Liverpool soccer. Yeah, if you if you look at the there's one that's pretty amazing. They were in Australia. Okay, this is Liverpool, an English team. They're in Australia. They're in a big rugby stadium. There's like over 100,000 people in the rugby stadium, red jerseys absolutely everywhere, singing You'll Never Walk Alone, and they're all Australians Oh wow! in Sydney. And you think to yourself, this is a worldwide phenomenon, yeah. and, and that's the case with a lot yeah. of the big clubs. Yeah. You know, your Real Madrid's, your Barcelona's, your Manchester United's, mm-hmm. Liverpool's, that sort of thing. So... You might do a little research on Liverpool because they've got great players and they're getting more great players. Uh, I saw today they're transferring for a great player in in, uh, France, Nabil Fekir, and different players that they've just picked up, Fabinho, this this year. But they also have Mohamed Salah, who's one of the greatest players in the world at this moment. 44 goals this year in like 51 games, 44 goals pretty amazing and, and set a record for the Premier League this year with a, for a 34 game season 31 goals wow so serious serious players there and serious tradition also so yeah. you got to kind of look at that got to kind of pay attention yeah to what their traditions are well I started getting mildly interested in this about I don't know had to be 10 years ago a documentary came out about Arsenal yeah and and it was I was like, wow, where has this been my whole life? Yeah. I mean, I was aware. Obviously, I, I like soccer. I've always just looked at it from an American perspective. Then I watched this Arsenal documentary. and I was, was it about the Invincibles? Yes, in I think that was it. Yes, I think Terry that was Henry, it. Yeah, yeah, Terry Henry. Right. Yeah. He was, he was right at the heart of the whole... They were showing the stadium and the, 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 the rivalries, and they showed recaps of different parts of games and, yeah. and all, the, all the science that goes into picking the players. I mean, it's just, it was really a, a cool, yeah. cool uh, motivational video. I'm a very minor fan of Arsenal, meaning the way I get introduced to soccer was through a video wrap-up of Robin Van Persie, who was one of their great mm-hmm. strikers um, in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. And I started watching that, and then I did just what you said. Then I started watching all these Thierry Henry videos and yeah. all these Dennis Bergkamp videos. Yeah. And and then I sort of said, I can get into this, and I decided I was going to get into it. And so they sort of led me into it. Then I realized there was a Seattle I I knew about the Seattle team, but I realized they were going to be an MLS team, and then I decided I'll get in on that. So I've kind of followed Arsenal just because – but I'm not actually a real fan. I mean, you know, not a real supporter of the club. Now, when it comes to national teams, and then we'll we'll take a break after this, but when it comes to national teams, are you strictly just a Team USA when it comes to the national teams? Well, the problem with Team USA is that there's a lot of players on the team that I'm not a big fan of. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some really – poor attitudes and and poor players on mm-hmm. the team that think they're good and that make a lot of money but aren't particularly good. Yeah. So I have a really difficult time 
But I sort of support a few teams that are underdogs. So a lot of times what I'll find myself doing is with national teams, like Iceland is playing in the World Cup, smallest nation ever to play in the World Cup. And I say, I could probably root for Iceland because, you know, they're just the small team that you want to see do well. So I can kind of go there. I kind of root for the underdog on occasion, but I don't really support any other. Okay. Not not for real anyway. Right. Well, I learned a little bit about, and we'll go to break after this, I learned a little bit about... uh, to be able to play for a national team, yeah, you either have to be from the country or up to your grandparents. Right. One of them has to be from the country. Sure. Or you have had to have residency there for five years, I believe. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting how Team USA, America is such a melting pot, but our team is, and you have some people that could play from a variety of teams, but once they've chosen a team, that's it that they can't play for a different national team later on. If they play for the senior team. If they play for... Okay, there yeah. you go. All right. That was, yep. That's a clarification. Okay. Well, it's very interesting. Listeners will be going through this process with me. If you have any suggestions, send us a note on our Facebook page, Harvest Family Radio Guam. Leave me a private message. Let me know what team I should be rooting for in football yes. or American soccer. All right? Chris, thanks a lot. Very informative. Appreciate it. Listeners, stick around. A little more Live Till 5 after this short break. We'll be wrapping it up with some talk about ice cream. So more Live Till 5 after this. And we're back with a little more live till 5, 4.48 p.m. on this Friday, June 8th. Glad to have you with us. Let's talk about ice cream. An ice cream-like food was first eaten in China, 618 to 97 AD. King Tang of Shang had 94 ice men who helped him to make a dish of buffalo milk, flour, and camphor. A kind of ice cream was, was invented in China about 200 B.C. when milk and rice mixture was frozen by packing in the snow. Roman emperors are supposed to have sent slaves to mountaintops to bring back fresh snow, which was then flavored and served as an early form of ice cream. The king of England, Charles I, is supposed to have offered his chef 500 pounds a year to keep his ice cream recipe a secret from the rest of England. The explorer Marco Polo, 1254 to 1324, is believed to have seen ice creams being made during his trip to China and introduced them to Italy. Ice cream sundaes were invented when it became illegal to sell ice cream sodas on Sunday in the American town of Evanston during the late 19th century. To get around the problem, some traders replaced the soda with syrup and called the dessert an ice cream sundae. They replaced the Y to an E to avoid upsetting religious leaders. Here's some interesting statistics about ice cream. Overall sales for ice cream industry in the United States has remained around $10 billion with a B annually since 2010. In 2013, sales were 13.7 billion. Americans love their ice cream. Baskin Robbins saw sales drop from 496 million to 496 million from 570 million a few years ago. Stone Cold Stone Cold Creamery went from revenue decline in 2011 to a sale of their controlling interest in 2013. Nestle's various brands of ice cream account for 1.8 billion of the total market. A bulk of ice cream sales come from store-bought varieties, indicating consumers are very conscious about the price of the sweet treat. 40% of Americans will eat ice cream at least once during a two-week period. 
which is just below coffee consumption at 47%. Ice cream consumption over the last 25 years has dropped from 41.3 times a year to 28.5 times a year. In 2014, Americans ate just 22.8 pounds of ice cream per person. In 2005, per capita consumption of ice cream, sherbet and frozen yogurt was 25.2 pounds per year. And it goes on. It takes 12 pounds of milk to make just one gallon of ice cream. An average American eats 48 pints of ice cream per year, more than any other nationality. The residents of Portland, Oregon, eat more ice cream than any other U.S. city. The countries that consume the most ice cream after the U.S. are New Zealand and Australia. They love ice cream down under. The only dessert item less with less higher sales in the U.S. than ice cream are cookies. Uh, let's see what else we have here as far as stats go. Most popular flavor of ice cream is vanilla. Some of the weirdest flavors of ice cream have been manufactured, including avocado, garlic, jalapeno, dill pickle. Flavors like cookies and cream was invented in 1983, and cookie dough was invented in 1991. The biggest ice cream sundae ever was made in Edmonton, Canada in 1988. Let's see. Top 10 best ice cream companies. Now, you might disagree, but this is according to the top 10s list online. Number one. We were just having a discussion about this today. Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's is the number one best ice cream company. Number two, Hagen Dazs. Number three, Briars with a B. Number four, Bluebell. If you never had Bluebell ice cream, it's really good. It's called Blue ba- Bluebell homemade ice cream. Not actually homemade, but tastes good. It's out of Texas, I believe. Baskin Robbins number five, Dairy Queen number six, Edie's which is also called Dryers in the Midwest. It's number seven. Cold Stone, number eight. Friendly's. Friendly's does have some good ice cream. Interesting story behind that as well. Number 10 is Turkey Hill. 11 is Hershey's. Tw- uh, 12, Amel. I've never heard of that. 13, Blue Bunny. 14, Perry's Ice Cream. 15, Natural Ice Cream. 16, Rossi. 17, Green's Ice Cream. 18, Frozen Ladle. 19, Richardson's. 20, London Dairy, 21, Dippin' Dots, and it goes on and on and on. Now, Baskin-Robbins, of course, the original 31 flavors. Here are the original 31 flavors of Baskin-Robbins in 1945. Banana Nut Fudge, Black Walnut, which happens to be one of my personal favorites, Black Walnut, Burgundy Cherry, Butterscotch Ribbon, Cherry Macaroon, Chocolate, chocolate almond, chocolate chip, chocolate fudge, chocolate mint, chocolate ribbon, coffee, coffee candy, date nut, eggnog, French vanilla, green mint stick, lemon crisp, lemon custard, lemon sherbet, maple nut, orange sherbet, peach, peppermint fudge ribbon, peppermint stick, pineapple sherbet, rainbow swirl, raspberry sherbet, rocky road, strawberry, vanilla, and vanilla burnt almond. Of course, they have many other classic flavors as well, but uh, they have some regional choices as well. Some Baskin-Robbins facts here. More than 7,800 Baskin-Robbins locations around the world with over 2,500 nationwide. Baskin-Robbins International locations feature, feature flavors of ice cream popular to taste of each country, such as red bean and green tea. Today, Baskin-Robbins colors are pink and blue, but the original colors were brown, representing chocolate, pink, representing cherry, and famous polka dots, representing circus balloons. The company's founders, Bert Baskins and Irv Robbins, were brothers-in-law, Bert married Irv's sister, Shirley, in 1942. 
Both Bert and Irv served in World War II. Bert was a lieutenant in the U.S. Navy, serving in the South Pacific. Irv was staff sergeant in the Army Station in California. Bert owned a 1931 Rolls-Royce Phantom II, the world's first 100-mile-per-hour passenger car. And then finally, Bert Baskin once met a man who told him, whoever thinks of all these flavors must be plum nuts. Congratulations, said Mr. Baskins. You just invented a new flavor, plum nuts. There you go. A lot of other Baskin Robbins facts out there. Finally, this one surprised me from Foon and Wide magazine online here. Came out July 31st, 2017. Halo Top is now the most popular pint of ice cream. Move over Briars, Ben and Jerry's, and Haagen-Dazs. Halo Top has come for a spot atop the Mount Rushmore of ice cream. What a delicious world that would be. For the first time ever, Halo Top, the Los Angeles-based low-calorie, high-protein, and guilt-free ice cream, quote-unquote, has surpassed all of its competition and become a best-selling pint of ice cream in U.S. grocery stores. They do carry Halo Top here on Guam. It's like a low-carb, higher-protein type ice cream. Uh, it's pretty tasty. I, You know, it's called Halo Top for a reason because I think there's a lot of air pumped into it so that you, so you can eat a whole pint and you really probably only got about three teaspoons of ice cream in there once it melts down. What is ice cream made of? Well, it's exactly as it sounds. It's frozen creams. Ice cream is a semi-frozen mixture of sugar, milk, and flavoring. You can actually make your own ice cream. Pastor Heron was just telling me about he has this homemade ice cream maker that makes one bowl of ice cream at a time. At home, you can make ice cream in the freezer or ice cream maker, but if you need to make thousands of liters a day, use a different method. This is what happens in an ice cream factory. First, ingredients are weighed out, mixed together. Mix is pasteurized, heated to high temperature to kill bacteria. Homogenized, which means breaking down the flat, the fat in ice cream to make it smaller. The mix is then left for at least four hours overnight for the fat to cool and form into crystals. Any flavors like fruit purees or colors are added at this point. The mix is then pumped through a special barrel freezer, which freezes some of the water in the ice cream and whips air into it at the same time. Up to half the volume of ice cream is air, as I just said with the Halo Top. Without it, the ice cream would be like a frozen ice cube. Any fruits, nuts, sweets, or biscuits are added to the semi-frozen mixture. The ice cream then is packaged and put into a blast freezer at minus 30 to minus 40 degrees Celsius, where more of the water in the ice cream is frozen and makes it harder. So, a lot about ice cream there. As we polled everyone in the office... Seems like everyone likes Ben and Jerry's ice cream the best. And one of the best places to buy it happens to be our local market right across the street from Harvest JS Store. Thank you very much for selling ice cream there. And, uh, you know, ice cream here on Guam, one of our friends that grew up here said that he thought the best ice cream growing up was Foremost. And, you know, even though Foremost is probably not as high of a quality of product, the thing Foremost always had going for it here on Guam is that it was made locally, so it was never freezer burnt, unlike other ice creams. Sometimes it's frozen solid because it's been melted a little bit and then refrozen. Foremost is delivered straight from the factory back when the factory was right there on Marine Corps Drive. And so it was always good. So it was a little lower quality, but better product condition. And so we would go for the Foremost when our kids were young as well. But now we're empty nesters and we can do briars and split it. Anyway... Hey, listeners, thanks for listening. It is summertime, so we want to talk a little bit about ice cream. I do want to invite you, if you don't have a church home, come visit us at Harvest Baptist Church this Sunday, 
9.30 a.m. is our Adult Bible Fellowship. We have a series going on in the auditorium. We're calling it the Most Important, the Most Important Adult Bible Fellowship Series because I asked nine different men to speak on what they believe is the most important topic that they could possibly speak on for our Sunday School Hour for our adults. So all the adults are combined together in the auditorium for that. We do have Vacation Bible School coming up Monday night, 6.30 to 8 p.m., and uh, it's right here on campus at Harvest, first through sixth graders, and it's a great opportunity for you to bring your kids. It's free. It's a kids' program. It's evangelistic, but it's also edifying for kids that are already uh, Christians, but you can invite your neighbors and your friends. There'll be snacks and crafts and Bible stories and games, and it'll just be a great time. So I encourage you to bring your kids to Vacation Bible School starting on Monday, the 11th of June, right here at Harvest. You can find out more by going on our website, www.hbcguam.org. That's the church website. khmg.org is our radio station website. Love for you to check us out there. Download the podcast of this show. Tune in Saturdays, noon to 2, Sunday night, 7 to 9 p.m. If you miss any part of the show and listen to the rebroadcast, catch us on the rebound there. Saturdays, noon to 2, Sunday night, 7 to 9 p.m. Let us know you're listening through our Facebook page, Harvest Family Radio Guam. And that's it. The fastest two hours of my week are over. Episode 268 on this Friday, June 8th. I'm Jared Baldwin, your host. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Live Till 5 on KHMG 88.1 FM, Harvest Family Radio, Barragata, Guam. Have a great weekend.